Americans' trust in the news media is at an all-time low. And most of us are now saying that the news is biased in favor of one political party over the other. So I talked with two journalists who created something called Dialogue Journalism. They're using it to bring opposing groups of us back together and to restore trust in the media. And I asked them what people like you and me can do to raise awareness for this kind of reporting where we all live. I'm Josh Morgan, and this is The Plural of You, the podcast about people helping people. I'm a data analyst and sociologist living in Baltimore, Maryland, and I produce this podcast for people who aren't ready to give up on humanity yet. Sure, there's a lot of problems in the world, but I'm building an archive of solutions. I talk with leaders who have dedicated themselves to improving the lives of others, and I'm collecting their advice so the rest of us can get involved too. Eve Perlman and Jeremy Hay are two of those leaders. They're veteran journalists who live in Alameda, California, and they met while working at a nonprofit journalism site for education news called EdSource. Like a lot of Americans, Eve and Jeremy have been troubled by the polarization of American culture, which has discouraged entire groups of people from even acknowledging one another, much less interacting or even cooperating. But in 2016, they decided to do something about it. They mapped out a new approach to reporting the news and co-founded Spaceship Media, where they help news organizations build bridges between groups that are separated by conflict. So we, you know, we're both experienced journalists, and I think both of us have always put a lot of intentionality and thought into how we practice our craft and how we can serve the communities of people who are our audience. But we were we were both working at EdSource last fall, and we were watching the election campaign and we were watching Black Lives Matter and cops and we were just watching this kind of heated and horrifying really polarization and in, in civic dialogue. So we started thinking about what we might do kind of in an ideal world. Like what would we do if we could do anything? Like if we were unconstrained by a traditional newsroom and unconstrained by finances and it was sort of a, a dialogue through last fall. And for both of us, it, it was starting by listening, right? Like, let's go to communities and ask them what they want to know about each other, what they, how they want to be known. And because we were, this was set against a backdrop of polarization, it was like, let's go right to the heart of the problem. Let's bring people together who aren't talking to each other. And there's so many groups like that in our country, right? It's, it's, it's climate change and there's a huge divide. If it's immigration, there's a huge divide. If there's abortion, there's a huge divide. And so those are all around us. But instead of like dancing around that, let's like bring people together and bring them into conversation and support that conversation with reporting and then tell stories from that. The result was what even Jeremy called dialogue journalism. And it works like this. Instead of deciding what a story should be in an office somewhere and then going into the field to frame a narrative around that, they look for situations where Americans are divided and then they go there. Not to exploit the groups affected by conflict, but to help them better understand one another. Jeremy believes this approach to covering conflict should be a natural part of journalism in a democracy. Often what happens in media coverage, unfortunately, is that Coverage ends up amplifying a conflict, but at the same time trying to get to the bottom of it and or easing it. When Eve says that we wanted to go right into that space between two divided communities, that's what we're talking about, going in there to try and bridge that divide and bring those communities together, not so that they love each other and walk hand in hand for the rest of their lives, but so that they're at least able to talk in places where it's possible, find common ground. 
So how did you settle on the model for dialogue journalism? The way it happened was we actually made up a model aside from any issue, just sort of addressing polarization. We would identify communities at odds. We would bring them together. We would focus on them as whole people. And just back to Jeremy's point, like in a traditional news article, you know, there's like one side and then the other side. And there's an anecdote that frames a story in a certain way. And we kind of wanted to get a little deeper and a little bit around that. The first project was a series of dialogues between Alameda police officers and students of color at a local high school who often felt at odds with one another before Spaceship Media reached out to them. Since then, even Jeremy reported that students at the school have been interacting more often with the police and that officers have become more aware of bias in their efforts to protect the city. Spaceship Media's second project was the Alabama-California Conversation Project, which they started almost immediately after Donald Trump was elected president in November 2016. For that project, they recruited 25 female volunteers from Alabama and 25 female volunteers from the California Bay Area to participate in a series of online conversations with one another. The election happened, and I think that, you know, that was a a kind of a strange moment for everyone. And so our response was, you know, we'd been, we were kind of playing with this low key, like, hey, maybe we'll do this sometime and let's see how this project goes. But then Trump was elected and we thought, there's so much room for good intentional work here. Let's do something now. Why did you select Alabama? During the election season, the country was, you know, incredibly divided. And I think for many people, the actual election, November 8, 2016, made clear that those divisions weren't going to go away. They weren't going to recede. And so I uh, called uh, the next day uh, an editor at AL.com. She's vice president of content there, Michelle Holmes. And we uh, had a passing acquaintance. We called the day after on November 9th and said, we have something that we're doing that we think could really fit this moment. And she jumped right away and said, well, let's do it. And so it was Alabama because she was there uh, and because we're from the Bay Area and because there couldn't be two places more starkly politically opposed than Alabama and California. It took a while for everyone to reach an agreement on how the project should be structured. How could they ensure that conversations between the volunteers wouldn't just break down? Eve, Jeremy, and the team at AL.com decided that a closed Facebook group would be the safest and most accessible medium to host these dialogues. It wasn't until about two weeks before the group opened on Facebook that we were really sure that it was going to open on Facebook because we didn't know, you know, what platform it would go forward on. And in that, there was a lot of learning and we had an idea about how to moderate. And that idea evolved a lot as the process went on. So it was, you know, no doubt an extraordinary learning experience uh, that strengthened our understanding of how to do what we had modeled out on, on paper. Even though even Jeremy had a sense of how a project like this might go, they weren't sure exactly what to expect. They launched the conversation project at a moment that was rife with social and political tension. As Eve put it, they and the volunteers were entering into uncharted territory. So we interviewed, Josh, these women, all the participants in the group one-on-one, right? We put calls out on Facebook and and other social channels, and we worked with a freelance reporter out here and Michelle's team in Alabama, and we interviewed all the participants one-on-one. And then we created some content from those interviews, and we created this closed Facebook group, and we opened it, and we didn't know what was going to happen, right? And remember, everybody was unfriending and disliking each other, and families were fracturing, and 
It's so intense. And I'm sure you've experienced that personally. And then we opened this group and these women who had volunteered for this project started talking and they started talking, not just about politics, but about their families and about their hopes and about their fears and about touchy stuff like abortion, but also like light stuff like holiday traditions and, and recipes. And so we, we hoped and we did our best to, to make it a success, but we didn't know what would happen. You know, we, we mapped something out on paper and then applied it. Did you have to set any rules for the group? No, we tried to do what we came to think of as normalizing our expectations. We did call out and we asked people if they would like to join a discussion. So there's this process of self-selection to a degree. You know, people want to come in and discuss. We just moderated in such a way that if somebody kind of spoke too sharply or too insultingly about a candidate or something like that, that we would ask them not to. Um, but we had no sort of stated set of rules. You know, we never kicked off a comment or, or refused to post or anything like that. We just tried through our conversations as moderators with the people in the group to make clear what we felt would work and what we didn't feel would work. I mean, one of the core beliefs for us, Josh, is that, and this kind of, I think, applies to the way we're practicing journalism, but also conversations in general, is we believe people want to and can communicate civilly around really tricky issues. People were eager to talk to people with different beliefs. And I think if, you know, when I think about that, as I go about my day, when I meet people with different beliefs and ideas, like I think a lot about how I approach them and how I listen to them and how I, I work hard to step aside from my assumptions and reflexes and, and engage people really openly. Yeah. And what I like about your approach with dialogue journalism is that it does give people a pathway to connect and to communicate and see the other side. The impression I got from these projects is that you ask everyone involved what they think of the other side and then what they think the other side thinks of them. And it seems like in most circumstances, we don't get that just in our daily lives. Like, how do we identify ourselves and then how do other people identify themselves? Yeah, we think people want to be known. Like you want to be known who you are and what matters to you and not just, oh, you're a Trump supporter or you're a Clinton supporter or you're a spoiled Bay Area elite or you're a, you know, a Southerner. You know, people want to be known and heard. And I think we sometimes in the rush of things, we forget to start with that. We worked with some journalists at AL.com who were sort of put on the team to do this. And one, and there were some concern at first that one of them voiced about those questions, you know, what do you think about the barrier women or what do you think the barrier that it was just dredging up stereotypes when in fact, that's actually what it was doing, dredging up stereotypes so that if you just imagine 25 people going into a group with 25 other people who they think think the worst of them and not having that be explicit, there's a lot of baggage that that's not cleared out yet. And when we started the group, we put videos up that recorded what the Bay Area women thought, the Alabama women thought about them and vice versa. And everybody knew that they were stereotypes, but it helped to get them out in the open so that people could move past them and talk about why they felt them. Right. So that, you know, the Bay Area women felt that the Alabama women would think they were spoiled and entitled and 
kale eating and unduly career focused and all those stereotypes. And, you know, the reverse was true. The Southern women were like, they think I'm stupid and racist and have a Confederate flag in my house and have too many children and don't have an independent life. And so it really was this air clearing way to start. And then they could be like, well, obviously we're, we know those are stereotypes. We've said them. Now we can be people. After the groups from Alabama and California came together, then the journalism began. Instead of framing interactions around what they thought the volunteers needed to hear, even Jeremy asked them what they wanted to know more about. That way they could better inform their own opinions. There's a reason why it's called dialogue journalism and that in the process, the journalism comes in not just in producing stories like the ones that you read on AL.com that came out of the process, but as the conversation is going on, we supplied the participants with journalism. So we did reporting about the ACA, about the Affordable Care Act, about immigration, about government social services. As discussions became particularly intense, we would say, we're going to go out and do some reporting. And so then the reporters in Alabama or here would report out those issues and we would give that information. We wouldn't write stories or we wouldn't have stories written for us to give, you know, traditional news stories. We would give information, sort of a compendium of facts to the participants so that then they could use that to inform their discussions. I didn't pick that up from what I read because I know you'd written that you want to provide the types of stories that communities want to see. But I guess I didn't catch that you also supply information as the projects are going along. I really like that. Yeah. And for us, that's really important, right? As, as we're journalists at a time when trust in the media is at an all-time low. And we know that a public needs information to make decisions and be capable citizens. And so a, another element of this is about restoring trust in the media. And let me let me give you an example. So one of the first topics the women started discussing was the Affordable Care Act. Right. And generally speaking, women in California had a positive feeling about it. They supported it. And generally speaking, women in Alabama cited it very often as a chief reason they supported Trump to either side. They both side looked crazy. Right. But what what happened when we provided reporting to the to the group was that they saw that the Affordable Care Act looked really different in Alabama. Alabama didn't take federal money. There's a monopoly there. So insurance rates were rising and fewer people were insured. And in California, rates were rising less quickly and more people were insured. And so once that data was fed into the conversation, it had this miraculous effect of, of, of them understanding that in their lived lives, that piece of legislation w- looked really, really different. And so suddenly they weren't crazy. They were just people responding to the circumstances around them. Yeah, they started to request reporting from us about a, you know, a range of different issues. I mean, about gun control and, and federal funding to different to the states. And, uh, you know, we need some information about Putin and, and the Ukraine and, and uh, well beyond our capacity to supply the reporting. But that's that was incredibly heartening for us because, you know, as opposed to saying, uh, I think the information you're giving us is clearly biased uh, toward one, you know, this side or that side. And what have you read this year instead? They were asking us as journalists for information, which indicated that they trusted the information that we were giving them. Uh, and, and that was a really heartening uh, experience for us and one that told us we were on the right track. Eve mentioned that trust in the news media is at an all time low in the United States. And it's true. In the fall of 2016, Only 32% of Americans told Gallup that they trusted the mass media either a great deal or a fair amount. 
the remaining two-thirds said not very much or none at all. And that's the lowest the percentage has dipped since Gallup began asking the question in 1972. For volunteers in the Conversation Project to request information from even Jeremy, two veteran journalists, that's pretty remarkable. And the efforts have left a lasting impression. Yeah, one of the things for us is that after we closed this group, we ran it for a month and we closed it down. The women actually went and started their own group and they're still talking. Actually, we were just talking to one of them today. They've started a book group. They're on their third book. You know, in this moment when there's so many people with who just aren't even engaging across partisan lines, this group of women is is continuing to talk about the issues that, that matter to them and to our country. What do you find so compelling about this approach? Well, it's incredibly gratifying as a journalist who's written thousands and thousands of stories that in the end informed people but didn't necessarily move the debate that much more forward. It's, you know, incredibly gratifying to help create a situation and an experience for people where you start out at polar opposites and you end up disagreeing but but talking to each other. Uh, you know, in a time when journalism is under huge stresses, it's really rewarding and gratifying to be a part of something that seems to be working in the way that it's intended. For me, it's gratifying to have a process that's so holistic and that we have created a way to, to take a lot of time to get to know people and to take a, a lot of time to tell stories from that. And I find that delightful. I could see this form of journalism being challenging because it's so concentrated. Do you feel like this is something that can be scaled up in some way? The way I think about it is that a real investigative piece takes months and sometimes years. And so the thing that's tricky when people look at our model is we're putting the effort in a little bit differently. But any journalist will tell you, you know, say, I, even if I'm writing a quick story, right, I might interview six people, but only use two. Or if I'm writing a more intensive story, I might talk to 100 people, but only use 20. And so I think it looks like more work, but I think it's just a different focus for the work and a different place where the work goes that's, that people aren't quite used to yet. It's also true that every news organization in, in the world, you know, to one degree or another, is uh, because of economic imperatives looking for ways to better engage and to engage in deeper ways and more sustainable ways their audiences. So people want what among other organizations, Spaceship is doing, which is engaging audiences uh, and engaging communities in, a way, in the way that we're doing. And so it's a challenge for sure to scale. Uh, I think Eve had it exactly right in, the, in that one has to start to look at it and value it in, in a slightly different way. But we're, 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 you know, we've got a couple more projects going. Um, one's a project involving race uh, and black student achievement and another is involving immigration. So we're finding that there's a deep enough desire out there to do this and a recognition that it's necessary that I think we'll be able to make it work. You know, another way to think about it is like, I can do all the reporting in the world and, and tell people facts till the cows come home. But if, if they don't trust me, then it doesn't matter. For us, relationships precede trust. And that's, that's part of why we, we focus the way we do. If someone is listening and they would like to support you in your work or help promote your particular approach to journalism, what would be the best way to do that? That's a great question, and thank you for asking it. Probably the best way is to go to spaceshipmedia.org, and there's a donate button. And we have a newsletter that people can keep up with us at. Another way to do it would be for them to reach out to their local news organization and say, hey, 
there's a need for this in this community. We have heard about an or- a media organization that is helping meet that need. They're spaceshipmedia.org. You know, even bigger picture, Josh, in terms of supporting us, you know, it's it's all of us, I think, thinking about how we listen to people who we disagree with, how we talk about them in our in our social media, in, in our relationships. I mean, one of the phenomenons that I'm keenly aware of is going, you know, to Trump's Facebook page and looking at the way they talk about people on the other side there and then go looking on a left leaning page and seeing how people talk about other people there. And I think that name calling and insulting and dismissiveness and mockery are such a dominant part of our discourse now that it almost becomes invisible to us. So I would urge people to just think about that, like how easy it is to dismiss and disregard and how habitual it's become. When we were moderating the Alabama, California project, and we were, you know, we were in there all day long watching these conversations about all these amazing, interesting topics and, and people were really being careful and kind to each other. And then I'd pop out of the Facebook group and I'd look at my Facebook page and I'd look at the way people were talking about the other side. And I found it very disheartening. And so I think we'll begin to shift as a culture when we all begin, when more and more of us begin to think about how we talk to one another a little bit differently. If People wanted to get your updates on social media, maybe to help provide balance to their own news feeds. Where would be the best places to follow you? Spaceship Media is on Twitter as Spaceship underscore media. And we're on Facebook as Spaceship Media Group. There was one question I almost forgot to ask even, Jeremy, and I'm glad I remembered. So their organization is called Spaceship Media, but where'd the name come from? <laughs> the best question of all. Yeah. I'm going to let Jeremy answer that. <laughs> Well, there's there's a variety of different way. I mean, it, <laughs> we have different stories we tell about. Yeah. It. Oh, okay. Well, I just think that it was a name that I originally came up with, and the idea being that, of course, a spaceship takes you somewhere where you haven't been, uh, and where ah. few people. So it's not just that a community is going somewhere or connecting with another community that it hasn't done before, but that that's not something that happens a lot of the time. We went back and forth for a very long time about whether this was the appropriate name and the clinching sort of argument for the name was that it's fun and that we need more fun in the world. And that, you know, this is a way you know to distinguish ourselves and that kind of thing. And then finally, our lawyer said, I don't think that's a good name for you guys to have. People won't take you seriously. And so we chose the name. <laughs> I think that's my favorite answer out of all the questions that I've asked. That's a good answer. Yeah, we we do. And you know what, Josh, we love our name now because, you know, and I was, as, as Jeremy kind of intimated, but didn't say explicitly, I was sort of the naysayer, like, um, excuse me, what do we mean spaceship media? Like, that's a weird name. That's an unusual name. That's a confusing name. And, and he really hung in there and advocating for it. But now it turns out to be a really wonderful thing because people remember it and people recognize it. And I do think it really at a kind of deep level speaks to what we're doing, which is working with people to move them new places and create different kinds of spaces for dialogue and connection. And one more thing, if you have any ideas for stories where you think spaceship media could help bridge the polarization between groups in our culture? Let them know because they want to hear from you. You know, we're always interested in ideas. And somebody, the first time somebody mentioned sort of urban-rural divide to me, I thought, oh, of course. But there's a lot of situations or circumstances that sort of illustrate communities that aren't talking to each other that could benefit from talking to each other or that are in outright conflict. And on large scales and small scales, 
regionally and nationally and, and locally. And, and we would love to know about them. So uh, you can reach us through our website and we would love to know if people have ideas about where our kind of work could be useful. We'd love to know. What I've learned from Eve and Jeremy's work is that groups on two sides of an issue aren't necessarily in conflict because of different ideologies, although that can be part of the problem. Another way to think about it is that the groups are looking at the same situation, but from different perspectives. And what separates them is their willingness to communicate, just like the women from Alabama and California discovered in the Conversation Project. Try to remember that the next time you encounter someone whose beliefs make no sense to you on the surface. You don't have to agree with them, but understanding the context for why they believe what they believe can at least help you respect what they have to say. So. Now that you've heard the story of dialogue journalism and how it came to be, here's a recap of the solutions you can try to build bridges within your own spheres of influence. If you like this approach to reporting and want to help it become more popular, visit spaceshipmedia.org and share your ideas with Eve and Jeremy. You can also tell your local news outlets about Spaceship Media and stories that might be relevant to them in your area. Even better, if you want to help people not be so divided or make yourself more aware of what the quote-unquote other side is saying, visit the places that they visit online. This has been The Plural of You. I'm Josh Morgan, and the show's website is pluralofyou.org. That's all for now. I thank you for being kind today. Take care. <laughs>